Welcome to the New Life Podcast. Here we want you to experience the grace of God. So through this sermon, we hope to come alongside you as you grow in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about New Life, please visit our website at newlifeonline.org. Here's today's message. Living the Christian life sometimes brings us into friction with culture, right? There are moments when we are walking out our our Christian faith, if if that's the commitment that we've made, we're going to find that there's going to come rub or or friction with our culture. So yesterday, I got my hair cut. Doesn't it look great? Yeah. Yeah. So I got got a haircut yesterday. And and I go go into the the place, and, and, you know, I'm waiting my turn. I brought my kids with me. They got their haircuts, too. And inevitably, like, I get a different person each time. So, like, I'll go sit down. And and this isn't one of those times where you just kind of interact with someone for, like, 30 seconds. Like, I'm sitting there for like 20 minutes. So like we're going to have a conversation, right? And, and inevitably you'll, you'll cover some of the basic things like you know, maybe you talk about the weather or some sports team or whatever. But more often than not, it's like, oh, well, what do you do? I'm a pastor. And so like maybe you can answer that question very benignly, but I know when that question comes, I'm a pastor. That's going to lead the conversation a couple different directions potentially, Right? And I always had that kind of like, okay, here it comes. What's going to come next, right? And I'm curious if you've had other kinds of conversations. You're not a pastor, so you don't say that. But like, have you had those moments where it's like, I'm going to say something, and we're going to walk down a particular road. And I'm not sure how it's going to go. Because our culture, you're not sure what you're going to interact with when it comes to faith comes to Jesus, when it comes to things like this, like, what's going to come next? Just so we're kind of all on the same page, like when I surface that word culture, what what are we talking about? Here's a very sociological definition. It's the customs, the norms, the institutions, and the values of a people group. So like a people group might be a nation, it might be a country, or it might be a smaller subset of people or a larger group of people that aren't like held together by boundaries or, or like you know, geopolitical kinds of things, borders. But it's, it's a group of people that share a commonality. And it's often manifest in customs. It's, these are the, the traditions and, and the things that we do. It comes in the form of art and music and literature it, it comes in, in the practices and the, in, and the, the systems and, and morals that a, a people group has. It, it's their laws, their institutions, the systems they put in place. This all is kind of what makes up a culture. I want to highlight that last one. Values. It's the, the values, the set of beliefs about the way the world works, about the way it functions best, about who we are as people. Even these bigger kind of metaphysical questions like, what's the nature of things? Like, why do we exist? Is there a God? These kinds of things all shape culture. And so when we interact with culture, we're coming up against a lot of different things all at once. There's all these different ideas that are kind of swirling around that bring together what a culture looks like. Now, you're probably you know, filling in the gaps and you might have some assumptions about what culture is and is it good or is it bad. Well, let me just tell you that culture actually inherently started as a good thing. 
So in the beginning, when God created everything, he created human beings, and he kind of gave us special status. He's, we're made in his image. The very next thing that God tells humanity is in, in chapter 1, verse 28. So here it is on the screen. Verse 28 reads this. God blessed them, that is humanity, and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves along the ground. In theology, this verse is called the cultural mandate. See, when you look at it, it's like God saying, hey, I've, I've created you. Now I'm giving you a task or I'm, I'm kind of charging you with something. Fill the earth. Be, be fruitful, like increase life into this world that I've created. But notice that word subdue. It's a little bit of a weird word for us. We don't usually use that. And pair that with the word rule there. I think what God is wanting us to do is to take authority that he has given us as his image bearers to be like him, to create, to build, like create a world, fill it with things, like create life, create art, create music, like build structures and systems, like do this. He's calling people to create culture. And here it is. I mean, he doesn't flesh it out in the fullest sense, but you watch it. Watch what happens in the Bible. Like, what, is, what does humanity do? We build cities. We, we, we create tools. We, we build society and infrastructure. We, we create culture. It's right here. Like, this is, this is what God is asking us to do. He wants us to build culture. But if you know the story, things don't stay here, do they? Things fall apart. Sin enters the world. When humanity says, like, we want to call the shots, we want to go our own way, we messed everything up, including culture. Now culture itself is tainted by our sinfulness, by our brokenness, by the things that we choose that, that destroy and, 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 and uh, undo. Culture is tainted by sin, by our sin. So it is actually intended to be good, but it's tainted. And so that kind of leads us to this question of like, how, how are we to engage culture then? Like, what is it that we are to do to engage it? Well, today we begin a series in the book of Daniel. This Old Testament book takes place when the people of God were in a foreign land. They were taken as exiles. See, they had lived in this kingdom that eventually was divided. And then first the northern kingdom, Israel, was taken over and taken captive. And then eventually Judah, including Jerusalem, where the temple is, was overrun. It was besieged. And people were taken away into a foreign land. That's the context of Daniel. And what we see in the book is that God is reminding us you're to have hope. You're to have faith while you're in a foreign land. And so that's what we're going to be exploring in this series is what does that look like? How do we have faith and hope in a foreign land? Because there's something the New Testament does. It connects this foreign land idea to us. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13, we, we get this beautiful depiction of all of these heroes of the faith, this hall of fame who've come before us, who've demonstrated what faithfulness looks like. And then we get the writer telling us this. 
in verse 13. All these people who have come before, they were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They were waiting for fulfillment. They didn't get to see it before they died. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were what? Foreigners, strangers on the earth. They, they don't belong here. This is not their home. This is not our ultimate home. Peter also picks up on, on this idea. In 1 Peter um, chapter 2, he describes it this way for us. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles. You are foreigners. You're travelers going through a foreign land. You are exiles. You are to abstain from sinful desires which wage war on your souls. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they might see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. We're foreigners. We don't belong here as our final home. We're heading somewhere more ultimate. That's what the Old Testament is trying to point us to. So I surface all that just to say that we are like Daniel. We're foreigners in a foreign land. And so if that's true, let's come back to our question. I want to explore in today's message this question. How are we to engage culture? How are we to engage culture? Like what does it look like for us to be foreigners where we are? The book of Daniel is going to help us explore this question, but specifically this first chapter. So I encourage you, if you would, turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 1. We're going to see what Daniel has to teach us about how we engage culture. What does it look like for us to walk this out in a meaningful kind of way? So Daniel chapter 1, we're going to be looking through the whole chapter, and we're going to just kind of tell the story of what Daniel experienced and glean what God wants to show us as we think about culture. So Daniel chapter one, we'll be looking at the first seven verses to start. So follow along if you would. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. See, what he's doing is he wants to take almost like the best of them, right? The royal family. These would have been like leaders. People looked up to these individuals. Nebuchadnezzar comes in and says, hey, I want to take all of them. They're the ones who are like kind of the best of the best. So what does he do? He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned to them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, 
Mishael and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. All right. So what we see here is the context. Again, these people have been brought into exile. They've been brought into a foreign land. They lived in Judah. They lived maybe in Jerusalem. And now they've been moved into Babylon. They're strangers. They're foreigners in a new land. Now what happens is, again, Nebuchadnezzar kind of takes the best of the best. He's like, I I want them them to, to learn some things. Do you notice what's happening here? When a conquering king or a conquering nation comes in, they have a couple of options for what they want to do. They could come in, they could just kill everybody, right? Just wipe out this people group. Eliminate them. And show here's our dominance. Now we're just going to take the land and take the resources. They could get rid of people. Or they could oppress them by making them slaves. It's like, now you're going to work for us, you're going to do what we tell you, and we're going to be heavy and hard on you and put, our, put you under our thumbs like... We're going to oppress you and break your spirit that way. But if you know history, you know that like, even if you try to wipe out an entire people group, you don't quite get everybody, right? It kind of lives on in some fashion, typically. Or even if you try to enslave them, like the people still exist and inevitably they're going to get stirred up and they could revolt, right? And you just got to keep putting on more and more burden. What Nebuchadnezzar does, he's like, let's just slowly remove their identity away. Do you notice, like, we're going to teach them our language, our literature. Not inherently bad, but they're going to become more like us. And, and notice, too, they were given new identities, right? New names. Oh, we're going to change your names. You're not going to keep your old names. We're going to give you new Babylonian names. And what they're doing is slowly integrating them into their culture. This can sometimes happen. And so what I want you to kind of see right out of the gates here is this, that we can sometimes be pulled towards culture. We can sometimes be like drawn in, just like Daniel and these others were, like we can be pulled into culture. Now, we, we might be conscious of this, like, we could maybe see it coming, and we can kind of sense it, but sometimes maybe not. And so, like, almost just put yourself in their shoes, like, this can happen, right? We can feel this pull. Now, before we run down the road too far, let me remind you, where did we start in Genesis? Culture in and of itself doesn't have to be bad. Like, we might think, like, oh, culture, it's so insidious and subversive, and sometimes it is, but not always, Sometimes it's really good. And so what I don't want you to immediately assume, hearing us talk about this, like, oh, yeah, culture, uh, yeah, here we go, right? That's actually not what we're going to see from Daniel. But I think we do need to be aware that there is this pull. There's this pull towards something. And so when that's happening, what is it that we're to do? Like, how do we respond when there is a pull? What is it that we, as followers of Jesus, how are we supposed to take a posture towards this? Well, let's see 
what Daniel does. Look at verse 8. We'll just, we're going to look at verse 8 by itself here, just for a moment. But Daniel, Daniel resolved. Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now, th- this word, you, you're, I've got it highlighted here, and hopefully you picked up on it. Daniel resolved. It kind of sticks out, doesn't it? There's a determination, an intentionality, right? Like Daniel's like, I'm resolving something. He's choosing consciously to take a particular approach, right? He's like, this is, this is the way it's going to be. I'm resolving. And this, I think the book is trying to highlight for us. It, it wants us to see, like, here, notice what Daniel's doing. Here's the pull, but Daniel, he resolved. Well, what did he resolve to do? He resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. Interesting. Of all things, this is what he chooses to do. Right? Did you notice, like, there were lots of things happening in this text. He was learning the language. He was reading their literature. He had been given a new name. But that's not what the text says he pushed against. He pushed against the offer of food. From the king's table, no less. I mean, if you kind of put yourself back in history, like, the king, he had the best of the best, right? Like, this food's the best, He's hiring all the good chefs and like he's at, he has access to all the great resources. Like this is good food, right? Why is Daniel choosing to not eat the royal food? In the Old Testament, the Jewish people were marked to be set apart, like looked different from other people in two very specific ways that kind of rise above all the others. Sabbath keeping and food laws. When, when the other nations at the time would look and see Israel, they'd see like, why do you take a day off and why do you eat like that? These were the two primary identifying markers that set Israel apart. And here, what Daniel is doing is he's saying, you know, we can't go offer sacrifices at the temple. We don't have land anymore, so we can't use our land in, in the way the law prescribes. Like, we can't do some of the things we used to do, but I can do this. And this thing, which is very unique for us, I'm going to resolve to hold the line here. Now, this is my interpretation. It's my opinion. I think there's a little bit more than just simply like choosing something. Likely what was happening in Babylon at the time, the food that the king ate likely came, at least in part, from their worship. Like the sacrifices that they would give to their gods, a lot of that probably would filter to the king's table. And I wonder if Daniel knew that. And that was part of what he was receiving, like this food that was used in worship of other gods. So I think it's a combination of the food laws in the Old Testament and idol worship, where Daniel's coming and saying, nope, I'm not going to be here. So I think that's what's happening. Now, come back to like how we engage culture. Notice, what does Daniel do with all of that? He asks for permission. Did you notice that? 
He didn't come in and say like, oh, this is not what I'm doing and whoever, like whatever comes like, I'm standing my ground. Nor did he kind of like give in or anything. What did he, he asked for permission. Hold on to that because we're going to come back to it in a little bit. But Daniel, I think what he's doing here, he's resolving, he's making a choice, but it's playing out in a different way. So let's see what happens next, picking up in verse 9. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion. Do you, do you see that? Like here, now you know, Daniel is bringing into this idea like, okay, now God, he's working in all of this too. And God caused this official to show him compassion, some grace, show him favor. He's got some favor here. So all this is coming to Daniel. So, verse 10. But the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than all the other young men your age? The king would have my head because of you. He's nervous about what's going to happen. So here, hear what Daniel says. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then, then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. So what Daniel is doing here is he's offering an option to this official. Like, this official's like, I, I want to I meet you where you are, but dude, I'm going to die if this doesn't work out for me. And so Daniel says, hey, here, here, let me give you an alternative. Let's test this. Now, for those of you who maybe grew up in church or you've studied Daniel or maybe you've just caught wind of this, the Daniel dining plan, have you ever heard of that? Here's where it comes from. Essentially, it's like a you know, desire to let's, let's eat healthy by doing it Daniel's way. Eat only vegetables and keep that simple. Now, there's some health benefits to that. But what the point is, is not this was a better dining plan. No, actually. Back then, like food was more scarce and what people had access to just looked really different than what it is for us. Those who tended to be healthier often had access to meat on a more regular basis. They, they had access to other kinds of food groups. Like that, that, was, that was a kind of common sense sort of thing. So what Daniel's offering here goes against the grain of what they expected. So this dining plan thing is not, it's not a trick that says like, oh, here's the better way to do it. What Daniel is doing is he is opening up opportunity for God to move. Because notice, he inserted like God had favor there's openness here, and so what Daniel's doing is creating a pathway. And so, what we see is that now there's an opportunity. So before we keep going in the story, what I want you to take away right out of the gates of this part is, is this, that Daniel, he resolved to remain faithful to the Lord and his way. Daniel decided, like, here, I'm, I'm going to hold fast to the Lord. I'm going to be faithful to him. I'm going to do, thing, do things his way, even if that's challenging or hard. Or, or like The first step for Daniel was like, I'm going to be faithful to God. 
That's my starting place. That's my only place. Like, I'm going to remain faithful to God. And in doing so, he's kind of subtly resisting what's taking place. But again, notice, he could have done this in a few different ways, but he elected to go gently. He asked for permission. He provided an alternative path in all of this. Like, here, let's, let's try it this way. Like, Daniel's approach is maybe not the approaches that we often think of first. But I want you to see that Daniel, he resolved to remain faithful to the Lord. But how did Daniel arrive at at something like this? Like, what charted the course for him to kind of land on this solution? I want to take you to another prophet. I'm going to take you to the prophet Jeremiah. So Jeremiah was um, writing right before the exile and then as it was happening. And so Jeremiah was kind of pointing everybody, here's what's going to happen. Here's where things are going, and it's not going to go well. He was warning them of the exile. But in chapter 29, we get a little insertion here of guidance that Jeremiah offers from the Lord for the people when they are in exile. And I want you to see what God says. So Jeremiah 29, verses 4 through 7. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem into Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry And have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. To a people who had been set apart for their entire history. Jeremiah comes in and says, be where you are. And seek the good there. Seek the peace and prosperity of Babylon. Your captors. This place that is marked by sin and wickedness. Seek its prosperity. See, the, the, the tendency might be to just like, okay, we got to hunker down and, and weather the storm until it, it shifts, or, or you need to fight back, or, or just, you know what, just give in. Like, <laughs> seek the peace of the city. This was counter to what the Israelites would have imagined. They wouldn't have thought, like, this is what we should do. We should be building where we are. They would have thought, like, We just need to endure this until God does something different. So I think what we're seeing here is Daniel is modeling for us perhaps a new way to engage with culture. So here, I want to just put this with you. What we're called to do is we are called to engage culture. But there are several ways we're not meant to do it from Daniel's example. We're not meant to be against culture. See, like what we saw here is that Daniel's coming in and he's like, I'm not trying to fight everything. I'm not going to pull out my sword. It's like, all right, here we go and, and go to town. No, he, he was very discerning and calculating. He didn't buck up against everything. He's just, he's operating the way God is leading him to. And it's not against 
the culture. He's also not trying to separate himself from it. Like, he's also not trying to say, like, I just need to figure out how do I get away from the king? How do I, like, because he could just kind of subvert. It's like, oh, you know, I don't want this and make himself look terrible or whatever. Like, no. He, he's like, I'm, I'm going to do what I can to engage here. I'm not going to pull out. I'm not going to hold up. I'm not going to build myself up around walls or whatever. Like, I'm not going to separate myself. But I'm also not going to give in. And it's like, oh, well, it doesn't matter. Like, we're just, here we are, and, and let's go with it. Like, you see, with Daniel, not this desire to just completely acquiesce to, to the culture. Like, he's not going to give in. What does he do? He works to redeem and transform. See, Daniel's coming in and saying, like, I'm resolving in a very particular way. I'm going to remain faithful to the Lord. And he creates the opportunity for God to work and move and almost invites the chief official into it. It's like, let me show you. Let me show you what this could be like. And there, he's offering the opportunity for transformation. For God to redeem and to, to change and restore. Like here, here is now the chance for things to be different. Uh, let me give you just one example from our own life. So this morning, actually, it's kind of interesting. I'm teaching on this today. So my wife and kids are not here today. Uh, my son Micah, he actually qualified for the YMCA swim district. So like something you got to swim fast enough for and, and make it into. And, that, and, and we didn't think he might. Like it just the, the time was a little bit out of reach. But suddenly we find like, oh, he, he made it. And so, like, we had the decision, like, oh, okay, well, what does that look like? Because this is one of the rare weekends where the, the meat falls on a Sunday. And so we had a choice, like, oh, okay, what do we do about this? Now, I'm not here to say, like, here's exactly what you should do and here's how we engage culture. But hopefully, like, you can wrestle with us through the process. See, our kids swim on the YMCA team, and that was intentional on our part. One, because we feel like that might be the best environment for them to learn how to swim better. But often, they don't have meets on Sunday. Being a pastor, I'm supposed to be here, right? You know, so like, we, we have to take that into consideration very carefully. But this was an opportunity for our son to swim at a meet that he earned. And so what do we do about that? And so we had to talk. We had to pray and we had to discern, like, what's most helpful here? And how do we weigh out these various factors? And there's probably not a right or wrong. Like, there was a time where it's like, yeah, maybe we should just decline and, and, and move on from it for this time. But we elected, we wanted to give him the shot. Because he earned it. He's excited about it. And we, we wanted to honor that. And so, I'm, I'm not saying that's exactly what should be done or shouldn't be done. And I'm not trying to, like, poke at, like, sports on Sunday and that whole conversation. But rather, more to say, we had to wrestle we had to walk through and not simply just be against things or separate out or just give in, but we had to thoughtfully engage and discern. What is God's path for us here? And that, that I think is the way forward when we're engaging with culture. But the thing I want you to walk away with because you're probably having all kinds of questions like, how do we do that? And what does all that look like? We'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. But um, what I want you to walk away with is this key idea first. It's faithfulness. 
Faithfulness to the Lord comes first. And faithfulness can look a little bit different in a variety of circumstances. Notice again what Daniel did. He landed on, it's the food. Because here's what it means. It means I'm completely forsaking my identity with the Lord. Like I'm buying into idol worship. Like I can't do that. But I can learn the literature. I can learn the language. They can call me whatever they want. See, he was thoughtful and discerning. But ultimately it started from his resolve to honor the Lord. So first and foremost, faithfulness. Faithfulness to the Lord comes first. So how is that going to play out? Let's finish the story. Look at verse 15. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. There it is. See, God didn't forsake the learning. He didn't forsake the literature or the language. Like, he allowed them to understand it. He allowed them to discern it. And Daniel... He could understand visions and dreams of all kinds, and that's going to be really important as the story goes forward. At the end of the time set aside by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. So what we see is this key idea. God lifts up those who are faithful. See, the story isn't that they just kind of threaded the needle and kind of knew how to work it. Like, no, God blessed it. He had favor on them. Because they remained faithful, he honored that. He gave them wisdom. He gave them understanding. He helped them to discern. And all of this is true because of this key idea. God is in control. God's in control. He is the author of history. He is the one who's bringing everything to fruition. It is in his hands. So no matter what happens in culture, no matter what takes place all around us in history, God is the one who's in control and we can trust him. We're to be faithful to him. He's bringing everything to fruition. And so if you think back to to how culture started and, and how things broke, because Jesus came in, culture can be redeemed. See, not only did Jesus come to to live a life that we were meant to live and take our personal sin away, he came to redeem the systems and structures, our very cultures that we exist in. He came to redeem those as well. It's not just for us as individuals, but rather he came to reshape the whole world so he can redeem, he can save all of creation. It's because of him 
and his sacrifice that any of this is possible. So when we're faithful to him, we're not just faithful because this is what the the rules say. We're faithful because he is the one who's able to bring things back to the way things are supposed to be. And we can be a part of that. What Daniel is doing, he was bringing transformation in a small, little corner of the kingdom of Babylon. And we can be a part of that same thing. So how do we do that? What does it actually look like for us to respond in faithfulness when we engage culture? I have three quick things that I just want to throw out to you, and then I want to tell you kind of what we're going to do with it moving forward. So the first thing I want you to know is this. Number one, we want to know God and his word. It all starts with him. It starts to faithfulness to him. So we got to get to know him we got to know his direction for us, what he's doing, how he's working. we got to know his word. And not to simply just know all the rules, like, okay, here's what I should and shouldn't do, but we want to become like Daniel. And these three friends, they grew in wisdom and understanding. A few weeks ago, we talked about how the Bible, what it is doing to us, is cultivating wisdom in us. Because it doesn't say everything we're ever going to encounter. It doesn't give us all of the rules down to the letter. It shapes us to be certain kinds of people. That's when we are shaped that we can be like him and we can discern, how do I walk through culture in a meaningful kind of way? So we have to start there. We have to know God and know his word. That's number one. Number two, we want to question our cultural assumptions and we want to submit them to God. Now, you might be the person here, it's like, ooh, I've never thought about this before. Like, great. We grew up here, or wherever you grew up. And you're informed by your family of origin, by your background, your experiences, the things that you encountered. You were shaped by being where you are and the culture in which you reside. So we're given these just naturally, indirectly, and and without consciousness, like we're given these things as cultural assumptions. What we want to do is we begin to surface them. We want to begin to just be aware of what assumptions might we have and submit them to the Lord. Some of those assumptions are going to be good. Some aren't. We We want to let the Lord help us see what's what. But the starting place is to just start to surface. What are my assumptions? What do I take for granted? And there might even be some things that you think like, oh, this is what Christians do. This is what godly people do. And you see that in churches. Churches don't always do it right either. We sometimes buy into culture, maybe even a subculture that feels like it's working against culture, but it's actually not the way of the Lord. So in all of this, I just propose to you this idea that we've got assumptions. Let's start to surface and question them and allow the Lord to help us see. And we do that by knowing him and knowing his word. So we want to start to question our assumptions. And then finally, we want to commit to living God's way. And we want to gently encourage others to seek him too. The commitment that Daniel made is the commitment that we need to make. We want to resolve to follow God's way, to learn from him and to live after him, like do life the way he wants us to do it. 
but we're not going to have everything figured out. And that is okay. Sometimes I think we have to figure it all out. We have to know the right answers. And actually, it's in our uncertainty. It's when we don't know the answers that we, where do we turn? It was like, well, who has the answers? Ah, he does. And that's what he wants from us. It's like, come to me. Learn from me. I don't want you to have it all figured out and do it apart from me. I want to do it with you. So we want to commit to living God's way. I want to point others to do the same. Because I think that's what Daniel did. He created this opportunity for this official to see, like, here, I'm going to live out God's way, and you're going to see it and see how it goes. And God honored that. So we want to remain faithful to his way. Now, at this moment, those are the three things that I wanted to share with you. You're probably like, okay, I still don't know how to do this at all. Right. So actually, one of the things that we as a preaching team, we want to come back around to this big question. What does it look like for us to engage with culture? What does it look like for us to have a God kind of approach? What does it look like for us to have a kingdom perspective? We actually plan to do a sermon series on that after Easter. And so whatever questions you've kind of got lingering in your mind that I'm not answering, somewhat intentionally, we want to actually go slower and explore together in a more complete, full way. But what I want you to know right now is what I just told you. We want to go back to the Lord. We want to get to know him. We want to check ourselves and come with humility and allow him to be leading and working in and through us without all the answers. So in a handful of weeks, we're going to come back around to this. And so I hope and encourage you to join for that series. Be present each week because we're going we're to open this up in a bigger way. We don't know all the things we're going to talk about just yet, but we're hopeful that we're going to explore this question in a more complete way. So for now, let's learn from Daniel. The big idea I kind of want you to walk away with today is this. When we're engaging culture, resolve to remain faithful to God because he's in control. We want to resolve like Daniel, commit to God's way, commit to him, whatever that may mean, because he is in control. And when we do, we will stand out. But not because we're against working to, to subvert completely or, or to be set apart and separated from and insulate ourselves, nor to give in, but rather to redeem and transform. Because this is the work that God is doing in the world. So let's be like Daniel. By the power of the Holy Spirit, when we engage culture, let's resolve to remain faithful to God. Would you join me in prayer? Thank you, Lord, for teaching us what it looks like to follow your path, even when we don't have it all figured out. God, I pray that wherever this is landing for each and every one of us, that we're coming back to you that we're seeking you, Lord. We want to resolve to be faithful to you and your way. So help us to do that, God, this morning, this week, and beyond. May we hold fast to you, Lord. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. <laughs>